everybody, welcome back to Letterman Row. It's Monday. That means it's Letterman Live, brought to you by our good friends at Roosters for a fun, casual Ohio State conversation. We're going with the, the originals here that helped us out at Letterman Row. Beanie Wells back in the building, getting that quarantine beard going like me. <laughs> Zach Bourne, he's still doing – he's taking a break for some work. He's finally in the office there. Appreciate oh, yeah. these Ohio State guys, legends, Letterman, hanging out with us. And then just Berm over there rocking the backwards hat. Uh, just in <laughs> case you, you guys have never seen him even wear a hat for this show, mm-hmm. you can tell that so, we're all in quarantine and getting a little getting a little loose. Beanie, yeah, I don't wear a hat. going in your house, man? It's going well, man. I can't complain too much outside of eating everything that I'm seeing. Man, I put on the quarantine 15, and it's been a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm still I'm still working out every morning. I bought a bike this weekend, man. Rode like 20 miles Friday night. Rode another 15 to 20 on Saturday. So, trying to stay active, man. Man, I love is blind. Love is blind. Season two is gonna love you. Oh my <laughs> god, I can't wait, wait Berm. I cannot wait. <laughs> we got to get him all that attention here. Get the face out there, the name recognition, expand it for Zach Warren uh, on our latest Letterman Live. Uh, speaking of guys who have established their brand, the NFL draft uh, is now complete. The free agent deals are also uh, signed for Ohio State. Another huge draft class, uh, 10 Buckeyes selected, including a little bit of history with one, two, three, uh, with uh, Ohio State's claim to Joe Burrow and his degree, Chase Young and Jeff Akuda there. Pretty phenomenal uh, run uh, for Ohio State, continuing to stack up draft success. They are not, they've now had more draft picks that first round draft picks than any other school in college football history uh, one of them is on this show today so Beanie, we welcome those guys into uh that that fraternity what did you think uh, of ohio state's latest draft class no i, I loved it I, obviously there were some surprising things there uh, kj hill being one of them him going that late in the draft you don't get a receiver traditionally that productive at ohio state to go that late in the draft um you know so that was a little bit shocking there but Overall, I loved it. I love the the amount of picks that we were able to get going, and I think some teams got some damn good players uh, from the, from the Ohio State University. Does it feel like uh, it's been what now over a decade since your name was called? Is it? Do you relive that every Thursday night when the draft starts? Oh, absolutely, no doubt, man. I was just sitting there talking to my sister, watching the draft, uh, you know, on, on on Thursday, and we were just talking about how it seems like it was yesterday that we were just in those kids' shoes, and we were just there when my name was called, just jumping around on TV. So I definitely relive those moments, and it's fun. It's fun to get a chance to see those guys get an opportunity to live out their dreams, and there were some classic moments this year. I was out watching that thing; be hilarious. <laughs> how about I mean, CD Lamb's girlfriend, that poor oh, girl. That's you get memed when your when your boyfriend gets comes off the board snatching that phone. Uh, I mean, that's oh, bro, that was one of the most hilarious things I had seen ever uh, in live coverage right there. <laughs> she he is, saw an opportunity to finally peek at his phone, and he's like, "Nope." <laughs> Great hands, strong grip strength, he, quick right. reactions, and instincts. I think that's why CD Lamb got picked there. Zach, what did you think? Uh, who was the biggest uh, snub there for Ohio State over those three days? I mean, obviously, Beanie already talked about K.J. Hill, how you are the – you know, you break all of the receiving records in Ohio State football history and you slip until the seventh round. You know, I, you know, I, I think Beanie will, will agree with me on this. I think it all has to do with his 40-yard dash at Indy, which 
you're running on grass. I mean, you know, or in that case, turf. That That is not game speed. When you watch game speed and you saw him go up against corners and safeties that are running four fours, he's getting around them. He's creating separation. So I think that was the only thing that was holding him back. I mean, I thought all day he was a third, fourth round guy. And, uh, you know, for him to fall all the way to seventh round, too bad Phillip Rivers isn't still there because Phillip Rivers and K.J. Hill together would tear up the AFC West. Um, but, you know, he's going to have a young quarterback to, to do it with and get on the same page. And uh, the, the other one in my mind, you know, some people may not call it a snub, but J.K. Dobbins, how he dropped to that part in the second round, I thought for sure – he was the best back in the draft. You know, a lot of people liked uh, the Clyde, the, the kid from LSU. A lot of people liked uh, DeAndre Swift um, from uh, uh, Georgia and Jonathan Taylor. But in my mind, I did not think there was anyone in the draft that was a more complete back, especially when it goes to the NFL. If you wanted a pure runner, if the you know Steelers really needed a running back, I could see them going Jonathan Taylor. But for a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who pass protection is one of the best I've ever seen in college football, the way he goes out of the backfield as a receiver, the way his vision and his, his lateral agility, his speed, you know, after he gets the balls in his hands. I mean, everything about J.K. Dobbins that goes on to the, to the NFL is perfect. And for him to drop down there to Baltimore was a complete shock. I'm, I'm right there with you, Zach. That, that was one of the more glaring ones that I saw. And, you know, knowing that the NFL is a league that goes to wanting all-around running backs, there isn't a better all-around running back in the draft than him that can catch the ball in the backfield, like you said, block their tail off. But piggybacking uh, again on KJ, the fact that he goes against Damon Arnett, uh, Okuda, every day in practice, and you know how it is when you're there at Ohio State. Scouts yep. are there every single day. How are they not evaluating this kid going against those guys in practice and saying, you know what, he's a much more productive guy than going in the seventh round. We've got to get this kid in the third or fourth round. Definitely surprising, for sure. And we can't forget about the fact that Damon Arnett going in the first round and in, what, in the top 20, I think that surprised a lot of people as well. Yeah. What was more surprising, where KJ went or where Damon went? I think for me, where Damon went. Um, you know, I didn't – I thought, obviously, we know Damon had some first-round talent, but I thought he was like a surefire second-round pick, maybe third. But him going in the top 20 was not expecting that at all. I think for me it was KJ, right? I mean, you know, this is a guy that dropping all the way to seventh round. This is, a, you know, Beanie talked about it. The scouts saw him go up against Damon Arnett and Akuda in practice. They saw him last year, you know, um, uh, go up against uh, even better uh, DBs, right? He's been there for five years. I mean, this is a guy who has went against the Denzel Wards, went to went against Malik Hookers, right? He's been there for a long time. For him to drop to the seventh round, yes, I know the the draft this year was a deep draft with within wide receivers but how many small this is the thing that irritates me the most about the NFL draft how many small name wide receivers did you or small school guys get picked and you were like how is KJ Hill still on the board it's these scouts once you get past the third round once you get into Saturday these scouts and GMs want to find the diamond in the rough they're going to draft Saturday is all about drafting small school guys to make themselves look better and say, hey, I found this guy, even though there was 20 that have busted before him, they want to hang their name on one guy. And by drafting a big school guy, like a guy from Ohio State, they don't get the same recognition. They're like, oh, yeah, he's an Ohio State guy. He should he should be good, right? They want the diamond of the roughs to make themselves look better. And that's what Saturday is about. I, I saw it. Who got right. the most by that uh, over the weekend was Brandon Bowen. And I had already said on this show every week, really, for the last six weeks that – it was criminal that he wasn't invited to the combine as 
the starting right tackle for the most productive offense uh, in college football. But so he, I get it that teams might have had injury questions about him, although last year there's plenty of film of him being healthy and making it through the year uh, with that leg. And, you know, if, if teams had to ask more questions, they could have done that. Uh, but like a, a Division three tackle versus Brandon Bowen, who started at guard and tackle in his career for Big Ten champions, uh, you know, won that position battle, uh, made it through all of last year. There were never any questions about him losing that spot or not performing on the right side. How, how are you possibly going to get a better value? Now, the, the Panthers reaped the benefit because they were able to snatch him up as soon as it was over to a free agent deal. But he was hurt, I think, by the shutdown and what Zach is talking about with teams that just, you know, want to get creative and impress somebody that they found a diamond in the rough when you have a, a, a six foot seven, six foot eight, 330 pounder who can move at times like a tight end in Brandon Bowen. That's a guy. He played, I, he, he played, I mean, he played tight end in his career at Ohio State too. So I think he's a guy that's going to play in the league for a long time. So I, I know that Burn, that was a, a guy who was on your radar for one of these, you know, snubs or had your attention. Yeah. Is, there, is there any, any other draft pick or free agent deal that caught your eye? No, I mean, I really – there's not any other players, I think, that I, I that didn't go where I thought they would. But kind of rounding out the KJ talk, I, I thought that the fact that there was not going to be the traditional draft process would actually help KJ Hill because people would be forced to rely on the tape and the productivity at a place like Ohio State because, you know, people see the combine time and he ran a 4-6. Like, I don't care about that. Mike Thomas is a 4-5-8. DeAndre Hopkins is a 4-5-8. Like, those guys are 6 When you're talking about a six-foot receiver running a 4-6, I guess people still are, are so wrapped up in these numbers, these dumb numbers, but the numbers don't mean crap when you watch the tape. And when KJ Hill's 4-6 is faster – than Johnny Dixon's 438 that he ran a year ago, if you watch the tape. And it, it's just weird. Uh, and that's not a knock on Johnny. Johnny's a good receiver, and Johnny, you know, is still with the Cardinals. But the fact that they're the same size, uh, if you watch them, one of them looks considerably faster in the game. And you see all these Michigan defensive backs and linebackers who KJ Hill made a career out of roasting being drafted in the fourth and fifth round, like, how, how is this happening? But people are still so caught up on those numbers. Well, I think that, that there's been a lot of, you know, and these two guys down here can speak about it, Zach and Beanie, that there's a difference maybe between, you know, the game speed and what you can run on a track. But even, even if that's the case um, and teams are concerned about the 40 time, well, KJ didn't get to run one at a pro day because it was canceled. And number two, that was never – the hallmark of his career at Ohio state. It wasn't like you went into every week and we said, look out uh, Michigan secondary. You're going to get burned deep by KJ Hill. Like that's not his game. He is a, a skilled route runner with reliable hands who seems to have a great understanding of how to get open and create space for himself that counteracts defensive backs that might be faster than him. I mean, it seems pretty simple to me is that I don't mean to belabor the point, but it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around all that beanie. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, when you look at guys of his stature um, and his product productivity in the college level, uh, the, the first guy I think of is Anquan Bowden, a, a mm -hmm. kind of stockier receiver. 
not the fastest guy. I think Anquan was maybe a 4-7. But when it came time to play in the game, you create separation not by being the fastest guy, by being precise on your routes. How do you run routes? What do you break at? And those things that I believe KJ has a very tremendous strength. That's his strength. It's his route running ability and creating separation that way and being able to catch the ball, being able to go across the middle and be that physical receiver. So it sucks to obviously see him go that low. But I certainly think he's going to go in with a chip on his shoulder. I think he's going to go on wanting to prove that he belonged to be drafted, uh, you know, higher. And I think he'll be a productive pro. I really do. My player comparison for, for KJ is Keenan Allen. So I guess that's probably why I think the Chargers were the right fit because they already know what that guy can do. Um, yep. And Keenan Allen's turned himself into one of the best receivers in the NFL. And he's not six foot four. He's not a four four guy. But I mean, uh, if you look back, and I've seen this anecdotally posted around before, but there's not a single NFL Hall of Fame receiver who ran a 4-4 or, or less than 4-4 or something. So, like, at some point we're going to get to uh, a realization that 40 time does not equate to being a good NFL receiver. John Ross would be the best receiver in the NFL. <laughs> Which he is not. not. By the <laughs> he's definitely not. No, he is not. Um Zach, you touched on this uh, earlier with K.J. Hill going head-to-head against uh, Akuda, Arnett, Sean Wade over the years. And there's this idea now that Ohio State practices and, you know, the scouts being there to see that, that the iron sharpens iron. And these reps that, um, you know, Brandon Bowen is getting against Chase Young or, you know, Justin Fields is getting against uh, those defensive backs, that, that that's maybe what – is developing these guys to the next level, but also maybe why you should give them the benefit of the doubt because they're proving it day after day through practice. You you were at the start of this where Urban Meyer really elevated the recruiting to, to create this pipeline. What is it like to go through a practice where you know that there's NFL guys on both sides of the ball and that just getting through a Tuesday is going to be a challenge? I mean, it's tough. I mean, Urban Meyer's famous words when he was coach at Ohio State is, I'm going to make practice so hard on Tuesday that games on Saturdays are easy, right? And so scouts are there on Tuesday. Scouts are seeing uh, the ones versus the ones going head-to-head the entire practice. It's – um. You know, it's it's where it's why Ohio State has become elite, right? If you look around the country, there's maybe three or four programs that have become elite, and Ohio State is one of them. Is because, you know, iron does sharpen iron. These guys are going toe to toe with the best of the best each and every day, and uh, competing against the best, right? And so when that's why you see some of these guys like an Andrew Norwell, um, you know, like maybe even a Nate Ebner, right? Like you see some of these guys that go off to the NFL and have great careers not being either highly drafted or being undrafted and, and surviving and, and actually thriving because they're used to that competition. They're used to going up against the best. So when you go to the NFL, it, it's a smooth transition. When you look at this, uh, this class for Ohio State and another one with double-digit draft picks, you immediately, like we all start looking for the next mock draft, 2021 and, and spinning it ahead. I think next year's draft class for Ohio State can be even better than this one and with maybe even more first-round picks. Justin Fields is going to be a given. Like he's going to be at the top. Uh, he's either going to be number one or number two with that Trevor Lawrence. So once we take that out of the equation, Beanie, who, who is the most intriguing Ohio State draft prospect for next year? Oh, man, that's, uh, that's so interesting. Uh, you know, I, just, I don't know where we are. Where are we with uh, Olave? It was Olave was, was he, he can come out next year. So yep. if it was a big year, 
you know, I could see him being one of those, you know, top wide receivers taken. We know his ability to stretch the field. He's a big play waiting to happen. Uh, he's been one of the constants that, we, that we've had this season, um, you know, in the receiving core. So that could be a very, very intriguing position right there and pick with being him being one of the top picks in next year's draft. Yeah. Zach, where are you looking? Yeah, you know, it's funny Brain, uh, Beanie brought up Chris Olave because Chris Olave, in my mind, is so similar to Jerry Judy, right? He, he's quick, but he's not going to blow your socks off with speed. His route running, though, is going to set him aside. If the Raiders if the Raiders weren't the first season <laughs> to draft or wide receiver, it would have been Jerry Judy. Just the Raiders are obsessed with speed, right? But the way that, that Chris Olave is able to run his route, um, he will for sure be up there. There's two guys, though, in my mind that should be licking their chops after Thursday night. After seeing the Ruiz kid from Michigan get drafted in the first round, and this is nothing just because he's from, you know, Michigan. In my mind, he was a second or third round draft pick. For the Saints to take him with, I think, pick 24 or whatever it may be in the first round, if I'm Wyatt Davis and in, in, uh, Myers – and I'm sitting there and seeing that kid get drafted 24, I'm licking my chops knowing, hey, <laughs> next year I'm going to be a first-round draft pick because Davis and Myers are so much better than the Ruiz guy. <laughs> and that's coming from you, a Michigan man. Uh, it is coming from me, right? Hey, listen, when, on draft day, I will give respect. Just like I think one of the biggest snubs I honestly do is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Going to the Browns in the sixth round, I think he's a – third round pick, right? I think him and KJ Hill are very similar. I, I think, you know, obviously completely different. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a athletic freak, tall. You put him on the outside. But I think in the system, he's pretty great. He wasn't as productive because he's in Jim Harbaugh's offense. But he's a kid who I believe got snubbed. And you look at his physical tools, you look at what he does on film with the limited uh, opportunities that he's had. I mean, that, that's a kid that my, I'm shocked that he went in the sixth round. Let me ask you guys something. Jordan Lewis, um, the cornerback for the Cowboys and former Michigan defensive back, in the middle of the day on Saturday was talking about uh, Delano Hill and Donovan Peoples-Jones and said, I can't believe these guys aren't drafted, but I know why. And it got me thinking, what impact do you think a, a negative review from a coach or from the head coach at the school that you're coming from could it really send you that far down? I'm not saying that's what it was, but to me that's kind of what it feels like is that maybe there was a, not a ringing endorsement coming from Ann Arbor about yes. those kids. Simple answer, how, yes. How, how far does that jump how – how much is that worth to the NFL? I, I think I, go ahead, Beanie. I, I think it's gold. I mean, the, these are the individuals – in which these guys are with every single day. So they know how he is in the classroom, how he is off the football field, how he is on the football field, how he is in the meeting room. So when they give a ringing endorsement, you better believe it's going to be worth its weight in gold uh, when the NFL team and the GM and the coaches is evaluating you because we all know how it is. In the coaching system, it's nothing but a buddy system. In that coaching world, everybody knows everybody. So it's almost like Berm telling me something. I trust Berm. So I'm going to trust his opinion when he's talking about a guy. So these coaches, it's the same exact way. So if he gives a negative review of a player, you better believe they're going to take that into consideration when they're evaluating him. You, you know, but it, let, let's be honest, right? In, in, in football, coaches play favorites, right? We know that. We, we, we know they play favorites, and Beanie knows that. So in the realm of 
college football in general. When a coach, when a player isn't a coach's favorite and that coach has kind of got more say than everyone else, if a GM or scout can, you know, see a little hesitancy in that coach and kind of him not give a ringing endorsement, it's going to go a long way because let's look at it the flip side. Every single coach will go out of their way to say, my guy's the best. You should draft him in the first round. He is unbelievable, right? So many of these coaches are blowing guys up. You know, a guy should really probably be a sixth or seventh round pick and a coach is saying he should be a second or third, right? They're going to blow their guys up. So because of that and the non-realistic nature that a coach is going to have a player's back, as soon as a coach may give a – let's call honest assessment as in he does this really well, but you know, he's got some problems with this, this, and this, and it's not a ringing endorsement like all these other coaches get. It's going to send off alarms, even though it may not be a big deal, right? It could have been something with Donovan Peoples Jones just got frustrated because he wasn't getting used the right way. And Jim Harbaugh told scouts and GMs, Hey, you know, he's, he gets frustrated at times when he's not getting the ball. That could be, that, that could throw out a huge red flag. There were a lot of rumors last season that Donovan Peoples-Jones and a few other players on the Michigan roster were thinking about basically quitting midway through the year. And again, I'm, I'm just totally conjecturing. Like, I don't have any evidence or knowledge of what um, was actually being said by Jordan Lewis, but it just feels to me like if you look at a guy like Damon Arnett, for example, compared to Donovan Peoples-Jones, and I had Urban Meyer on Bermanology last week and Donovan Peoples-Jones got brought up. And Urban and I have both been very, very high on People's Jones as a, just a potential prospect. And Urban was like, yeah, that kid should have been a first-round pick. And then you see a, a guy like that who's six foot two, 210 pounds, 45 and a half inch vertical, 4'4". Four, four. I mean, you're talking about the elite of the elite when it comes to his athletic ability. And I get productivity at Michigan is down because of the offense they run, but Mike Thomas was a second-round pick, and his productivity was terrible at Ohio State. Not terrible, but not like huge NFL numbers. Mike Thomas um, needed to redshirt his sophomore year because of maturity issues. Clearly, Ohio State still went out and, and stumped for him to get him drafted where he got drafted in the second round, right? Like, how does a guy of that physical – because the NFL, as we know, that's all about – as we're talking, like, this is a, a league that's about – upside and potential and how Donovan Peoples Jones is a kid who wants to be a doctor. Okay. I mean, he's not like some idiot who doesn't know how to read. He, yep. He's, he, he's a guy who wanted to be a doctor out, out of college. It just seems like there's a piece missing here. And I, I would love to know what it actually is because the upside there is off the charts. And the fact that he fell to the sixth round um, with his physical ability and knowing what I know of him as a player from when I covered him as a recruit, like he's not a, a red flag kid. So it's just interesting to me what actually could have pushed him into that spot. Well, I, I, Berm, I think – and Beanie might have my back on this. I don't, I don't know his take. But I think that's what frustrates me most about the NFL and especially the draft. As you saw, I think it was day two. It was, you know, round two or three. There was a linebacker from Mississippi State who – has played six games his entire career at Mississippi State because of academic issues, because of uh, a physical altercation, right? Because of domestic issues. This is a kid who played six games his entire career at Mississippi State. 
as a linebacker as getting drafted in the second or third round. Like, to me, how is a guy like that who's played six games in his college career, how is he better than Donovan Peoples-Jones or K.J. Hill? Granted, it's a completely different player, but at the same time, how? It's the same kid. The the second one is a wide receiver, the kid from Tennessee. I know he got drafted on Saturday, but he may have been before Peoples-Jones and K.J. Hill, but the kid from Tennessee went through two coaching staffs, and when he got drafted, I was watching it, they said he almost got kicked off by a coaching staff twice, by two different coaching staffs, right? I understand you might have, uh, difference of opinion with one and you may have some issues but when a whole brand new staff comes in and you still continue to have issues with them and almost get kicked off the team twice by two different coaching staffs how are you drafting that guy ahead of Donovan Peoples-Jones or KJ Hill it blows my mind yeah I, I got no clue man it, it's a wild uh situation and, and way in which they evaluate um you know you always hear people say it's no exact science to uh, picking a guy in a draft and, and evaluating the recruit and so on and so forth. But, I mean, like you just said, when you give great examples on why you should draft a guy and then great examples on why you shouldn't draft a guy, it should be cut and dry. And you just gave those examples. So I really can't fathom or understand why they wouldn't go and get uh, a Donovan Peoples-Jones or a K.J. Hill when these guys have people behind them, coaching staffs behind them, that are with them every single day, giving them the backstory on uh, why they will be productive pros or why they are great citizens. And then you got guys that are just assholes, essentially, and, and not doing things the right way. And they go out and they get the, the not ringing yeah. endorsements, but they get the ability to be drafted so high. I got no clue. I think the league, I, like you yeah. talked about a little bit earlier, with them looking for diamonds in the rough, I think they look for those situations to where they can turn the, the troubled guy into an yep. all-pro and, and have that, that comeback story as well. Yep. I, I, I think that Donovan before we let you guys go here on Letterman Live, brought to you by Roosters, it was another uh, Michigan man weighing in that said, oh, the, the talent gap doesn't exist because both Michigan and Ohio State had 10 players drafted. Uh, I'm not sure that Charles Woodson is looking at the same, you know, round equally. Ohio State's guys are drafted here, and Michigan was filling up Saturday. Uh, I just thought that Beanie and Zach might want to be able to respond directly to that assertion that there is no talent gap between Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually I, I, took it in, I took it in another way. Yes, I mean, I, I saw what he was saying, but I took it as Charles Woodson was almost calling out Jim Harbaugh on the staff. You know, I think Charles Woodson, I viewed it as Charles Woodson says, okay, you know, the most was LSU. The next most schools with – with draftees was Ohio State and Michigan tied at 10. So tell me why we are getting our ass kicked each year by Ohio State. And I think that was his way of saying, hey, the talent gap isn't that far off, right? We're close in the talent gap. So tell me where we're missing something. I think he's trying to point the finger and have the entire Michigan fan base say, hey, Jim Harbaugh and that coaching staff, you better wake up because you don't have an excuse anymore of the talent gap being way off. That's a great outlook right there. (laughs) All right, no need to argue with that one from Beanie. That the point is made. Uh, appreciate you guys jumping in and, and hanging with us on this virtual version of Letterman Live, brought to you by Roosters, as we all try and stay safe and at home uh, throughout the quarantine. You got something to say over there, Burn? I have one more question for the, for the guys, and I, I don't mind. I don't mean to stretch the, the the show that long, but again, going back to the interview I had with Urban last week, he said, and you guys are both Ohio kids, so. I want just your opinion on this. He said that the only thing worse for an Ohio high school football player 
than not getting offered by Ohio State would be getting into Ohio State and then being there and realizing you're not good enough. What do you guys agree with that? Do you, I mean, or would, it, would you have preferred if you're go back in time to not end up at Ohio State or to have gone there and realized you couldn't play there? Just, I, uh, I went there and realized I couldn't play. Let me find that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Berm, to answer your question, I think it's anywhere, right? No matter where I would have went. I'm a, I'm a competitor. I'm going to compete my ass off each and every day. Trust me. I hey, Listen, I look nothing like Beanie, have none of the physical tools that, that Beanie has, right? But guess what? I'm going to get there, and, and if I had to, if I played with Beanie, we're going to rough it up in running back drills, right? It's just the way it was. And so I think my standpoint was I just loved competing and loved the game of football so much that – I would have been miserable if I would have went to Miami of Ohio and couldn't play. It was not being able to get out on the field in a game atmosphere and having my peers out on the field. That's where I would have lost it. So, you know, it's not an Ohio State, Ohio kid thing. If I would have went to USC, right, from from Columbus, Ohio, and I couldn't see the field at USC, it would be the same. That would be the lowest point of being able to look at your peers and knowing, hey, I'm not good enough to be able to go out there and compete on the field. You're 100%. Nobody likes to fail uh, anywhere they go. Uh, but both of these guys got a bunch of gold pants and won a bunch of games at Ohio State, so they don't have to worry about it. That's why we're still talking to them here on Letterman Live, brought to you by Roosters. Great stuff from these guys, as always, and they're staying safe and hanging out with us. Beanie, Zach, Jeremy Birmingham, it's uh, been a pleasure talking with you guys again. We'll see you next week on Letterman Live, brought to you by Roosters. I'm Austin Ward. Bye-bye. <laughs>